for the next five days. How many crossings does this make? This was my first. I got some. Most likely a U-boat. He's trying to slip under us! Fire! Hello and welcome to Step and Repeat, a weekly movies and awards show podcast by two non-industry professionals. I'm Matt, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Andrew. Blur. Or Medea. And we're in the second week of our series, of our series, Summer Blockbusters at Home. And our main feature this week is Greyhound, the World War II battleship drama starring Tom Hanks, also written and directed by Tom Hanks, whose trailer you just heard at the top of the episode. But before we get into our main feature, we would like to kick things off here with an uh, opening segment that we like to call, What Are You Watching?, where Andrew and I give each other a couple of minutes to stand in our soapbox and talk about what other media we're consuming this week, such as it can be movies, TV, or video games. So Andrew, what are you watching? I have taken it upon myself to rewatch all the major Batman movies. <laughs> and I think, did I talk about this on a previous podcast that I had like watched Batman, the like original Tim Burton? Um, which I was kind of underwhelmed by. And, but this week I moved on to Batman Returns. Mm. <laughs> so, um, so I was watching Batman Returns this week and I just like find it so weird that I love Batman Returns, but I like didn't really care for Batman the original because like they kind of go hand in hand, right? Like there's not one, I think the way that history treats them, they're almost like equally good in a way, like they're kind of a pair. So, um, so I like everything about Batman Returns for me, like the weirdness of it totally worked. Like Tim Burton, I think like got to like let his freak flag fly a little bit on Batman Returns, a little bit more in that he couldn't uh, in the original Batman. And so like the original Batman feels like very, know like paint by the numbers and Tim Burton just like was like hey we're gonna do whatever the hell we want with like a like S&M Catwoman <laughs> and like a really weird Danny DeVito as like the penguin who becomes like a politician um and it gets to be like really funny which like I don't think like the original Batman could live up to uh so I just like really loved Batman Returns. <laughs> so um, I uh, was like really surprised by this like effort of mine. And like, I'm now glad to like move forward in time with my like other Batman movies too. So, cause the next two are the, the Joel Schumacher ones, which, you know, may, may not live up to my nineties childhood. Yeah, rest in peace too. Um, I know that's like one of the reasons why I started it. There's like four or five different reasons, like, but like Joel Schumacher died like a couple months ago, and now like everyone started talking about the Batman movies. So I was like, I should rewatch the Batman's. Yeah, well, I guess uh, what a couple a uh, couple weeks ago or last week, the uh, test audiences came out for Batman Forever and said um, like an extended cut. They saw an extended cut, much darker tone now we're getting like all these like different cuts of like now that justice league has kind of come out the pandora's box and um kind of opened up like all these different versions of superhero movies i guess at least in the dc universe 
that's neither here nor there. Yeah, you've made no, a huge no, mistake because that's another reason why. <laughs> yeah. So the first Batman, Tim Burton, it was actually the very first movie I ever saw in theaters when I was um, really. Oh. It, yeah, I was. You could argue I was way too young to see that. <laughs> so I think. I, <laughs> I think I was not even two yet. <laughs> yeah, I guess for some reason my parents thought it was okay to take me to see uh, Tim Burton's Batman in the theaters. And uh, not we are not getting a babysitter. We are seeing yeah. that. <laughs> uh, not that I remember any of it, but I never really was. I, I thought, you know, going back and watching it later, I feel like it's a little dated, obviously. But I, I enjoy it, you know, for what it is. And I guess Michael Keaton's going to be coming back as Batman in the next Flash. And, I guess that's been announced and people were kind of like raving about it. But Michael Keaton is like a total non-factor for me in the first two Batman movies. He's like barely in it. It's like shocking how little the first two Batmans feature Batman. Yeah, well, that was the whole, um, you know, that's the whole thing with these like, I guess I don't want to say like 90s superhero movies, but th- is what it is. Like this, like even early 2000s, you can say like the superhero or the, the main title character is like, hardly in it it's kind of like a build-up story to like the end if you will of like the good versus evil you know batman versus joker spider-man versus green goblin you know the list goes on but like it's not like movies today where we just don't have the patience for that kind of stuff yeah. that's it's all origin stories now yeah, origin stories yeah so you know back then um that's just that's just kind of how it was batman is you know it's a relationship between there's three uh, at least to me there's like three main characters it's Bruce Wayne, the Joker, and Gotham City. I've always, with all the Batman shows and movies and everything, video games, Gotham City to me is like a central character <laughs> to the plot of any any of the shows or movies. And so now with the new, new Batman with Robert Pattinson, like they just announced a new HBO Max show that's heard, yeah. with the movie. So like, I feel like I really started this Batman rewatch at the right time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. like another Batman TV show, like Gotham, Mm -hmm. but so anyway um you're talking about batman returns right the second one yeah yeah um so i've always been like way too scared (laughs) of batman returns i think danny devito gets like a horrifying like i as a kid i could not watch batman returns i got too scared of it and like i told my dad i was like turn this off turn this off i can't handle it Um, a plot point in batman returns is like kidnapping children (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Like, that is very understandable. Like, why can't you be afraid of it? And, like, to this day, oh, sorry. Um, and to this day, like, I can't, like, watch Batman Returns without, like, having, like, those traumatic childhood memories. Yeah. But I, yeah, I mean, from what I remember of it, obviously Danny DeVito does a great job because he scared the daylights out of me. And um, I'll always think Michelle Pfeiffer is, like, one of the best Catwoman. Um, She's great. She's the best Catwoman I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't think anyone will be able to top her. Um, I did really like Anne Hathaway in The Dark Knight Rises, but I wish she got more to do as like a... Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I feel like she doesn't... I I still have not seen The Dark Knight Rises in a while. Um, I feel like she doesn't really get a whole lot to do. I find her like... I like that she's like morally ambiguous, but like that's about it. And she's like kind of like a robber. And then yeah. but I don't really remember a whole lot otherwise about her personality. Whereas like I yeah. loved Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman's personality. <laughs> I was like yeah. rooting for Catwoman <laughs> in Batman Returns. Well, I mean, 
Selena Kyle is not entirely, like you said, she's ambiguous. She's not entirely, she's not villain or hero. She's, yeah. she, she is. And there's a very, there, there's a story there in and of itself of like the story of Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne or Batman, Batman and Catwoman. I mean, they have, they've had a history going back to the, to the thirties, but yeah, I, I, I think, I, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer, like she was perfect to me and Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess we'll see how. Uh, uh, Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. Oh, sorry. Zoe Kravitz cast as the new Catwoman in the Batman. So, one one of my big issues with this new movie coming out is I think there's way too many villains, way too many like rogues. But like the rogues gallery is just huge. Like you've got like Oswald Cobblepot, the Penguin, um, and Catwoman both coming back. So it's kind of like <laughs> a, re- a rehash of Batman Returns. Returns. Yeah. Plus you've got like. Riddler, who's played by Paul Dano, and I know they mentioned like the Joker is going to be making some kind of a return, and I think there was like one more, and I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, that's like that's like four right off the bat there. And Catwoman and Batman, like their story is just it's it's so complicated, and like it's you can like make a whole movie like just of the two of them. And I just really I hope like yeah I really hope Zoe Kravitz like does her justice because <laughs> I love Catwoman. I think she's one of yeah, the great. I love the talent that's attached to the new Batman movie. Oh yeah. So like I'm optimistic that it'll be really good uh, but production's been interrupted by COVID so we'll see how that goes. We'll see. So uh, cool. Well yeah. So well. I've been watching Batman Returns. I might revisit that in another week. Another Batman movie. <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, if we do talk about Batman Forever, I, I will go on a soapbox myself and defend Jim Carrey till I'm blue in the face, because I think he is one of the greatest characters, casted characters in all of comic book film. Um, I think he was, his performance was completely overlooked by all the critics and everyone. Um, I think he was like the perfect Riddler, and I think Joel Schumacher could have done so much more with him, but like, I just absolutely love Jim Carrey. Um, well, maybe we'll get to see him in the uh, this R-rated cut or whatever is uh, yeah. supposedly yeah. Is there. So. And who knows, maybe he'll come back in the Batman or the Flash since apparently this is all like a multiverse anyway. And boy, this is going to be fun. So <laughs> For real. Stay tuned. Uh, well, Matt, what are you watching? Um, so I haven't been watching too much this week, but I did want to talk about something that we have mentioned on the podcast a little bit before and something we haven't really, but we haven't really talked about yet. And it's a show I finished a few weeks ago, um, which is, uh, this is America. Oh, yay. Yeah. So I know we haven't talked about it much and yeah, I really love the show and I wanted to chat with you a little bit about it. Um, Mrs. America, obviously, well, I mean, if you haven't seen it. It's a show, it's an FX show on Hulu, and it tells the story of, um, what's her name? Phyllis Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly, yeah, and her band of merry misfits as they travel across country and to, from convention to convention to stop the NRA, which is the NRA, oh my God. (laughs) 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 The NRA, which writes an amendment. (laughs) So it's set in the the 70s uh, during the, the women's movement in America. Yeah, and so um, Rose Byrne plays um, Gloria Steinem, who is the Kate Blanchett's opposite. <laughs> um, she is one of the leaders of the women's movement, and along with a just incredible, incredible cast. And 
Uh, it takes place over, I think, eight episodes. Um, nine. Nine episodes, yeah. I just, I really love Mrs. America. I think if you haven't watched it, um, you should, uh, especially if you're, you know, into <laughs> women's issues at all or call yourself any kind of a feminist. I think it's an important watch and it's important, uh, it's important to know the people surrounding the women's movement, um, like who started it and where we are now, even though unfortunately um, it's not really a conversation we're having right now. It's not really the zeitgeist, but you know, it has been in the news with the whole Me Too movement and, and uh, women's equal pay for equal work and all that. So, so yeah, uh, I think this, this show was kind of a response to, to all of that. And um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to like talk a little bit about some of my favorite like performances. Like um, Margot Martindale plays um, Congresswoman Bella Abzug, uh, which I think, you know, sh like if you don't know Margot Martindale, like she is a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> and, Famous character uh, actress, Margot Martindale. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, she's great. And obviously Sarah Paulson's in it. She plays uh, this woman named Alice, who, who supports the, uh, or sorry, who, who rejects the ERA uh, and kind of works for Phyllis Schlafly, but kind of like throughout the show seems to have a change of heart towards the end. Well, she really does have a change of heart. And she, uh, yeah. I think, I think that's like one of the good things about her character is that like she doesn't really have, well, spoiler, minor spoilers. I don't think she has like a real change of heart at all. Like she's still anti-ERA by the end, but like she sees the other side and like humanizes the other side a little bit. Yeah. But like she still goes about like her business against like the ERA. So yeah, yeah exactly. I wouldn't quite call it a change of heart. And like that's what I think like the interesting about thing about like her nuance is that like even like the good people on like quote unquote the other side still um, like <laughs> when push come to shove like don't really change. Yeah, yeah. I just I feel like she's to me like I kind of took it as she like she kind of did have she did have sort of a change of heart, but she was like her thoughts have been like so suppressed and her like like she obviously like she can't speak up for herself. And she just gets, like, it's to the point where she just can't go against Phyllis. And if she does, she'll <laughs> get chastised and attacked. Um, I just like that scene. There's a scene, like, the dinner scene. Like, there's a scene at the end where they're at, um, all the Stop ERA people are at, like, a, a charity dinner. Sarah Paulson's character is there. Alice, she's there. And, like, she doesn't seem to be supporting any of the things that they're even talking about or she's like. I think she rejects Phyllis by the end, um, but she like doesn't reject necessarily her values. I think she rejects Phyllis because like over the course of the series, Phyllis kind of like sells her soul like bit by bit um, and like starts to accept people that she doesn't even believe in into like her group and like brings them into the cause and so her movement, her anti-ERA movement, um, devolves into, like, a monster. And so by the end of the series, like, Phyllis, for Phyllis, the rot has set in. And with, like, Alice, who brought the ERA to Phyllis's attention in the context of the series, Alice isn't a real person, it, like, 
she she doesn't have like her blinders on and like now she's like questioning like who is this like phyllis i don't even recognize you anymore um this like friend that i had 10 years ago uh so she kind of rejects like phyllis and what she has sold her soul to do and so like and their relationship is damaged yeah yeah and i just i love the irony of the show too and i i the path that it goes on where like phyllis starts out like she's this woman who believes like a woman's place is in the home and she has to be there for her husband and i love the irony of the show where like it ends up where she wants phyllis wants to be the person that she is pretty much fighting against like she wants to be yeah. the one to go to school to get the law degree to be like more than her husband wants her to be and really more than her husband in general because it's I, about power for her yeah, it's it not yeah it's, it's, it's about, about power. Power. it's not about it's it's not about like values i i think the irony of the show is just like it's really what makes it and like just this like i don't even want to call it the, the evolution but like <laughs> like a, like a shift in attitude of of phyllis and what and how people see her it's just it's great but anyway that's uh that's what i'm watching is or what what i watched was mrs america fx and like like you said like the cast is so incredible and the cast is prim primarily women like i mean i'm talking like 90 to 95 percent women for good reason it's so when the emmy nominations come out later this month the best supporting actress category in a limited series <laughs> is going to be basically the like best mrs america supporting actress because like we're going to see nominations for rose byrne margaret martindale uzo adoba sarah paulson <laughs> like all these freaking people yeah it'll be like it'll be interesting to see like who's in who's out <laughs> i know i know kate blanchett would be lead and she's gonna get too um it's like everyone else is just gonna be like supporting <laughs> it's like yeah. um some other like names that are in like melanie linsky she's in um two and a half men uh she plays rosemary um so she's she's really good too and uh tracy ullman's great in it yep as betty uh she's interesting character so oh my god one of the great things uh to real this is so minor about mrs america is that like there are all these like famous actors like men that pop up for like one episode and they basically play the token husband which is such an amazing turn on its head of like the trope of like the token wife yeah so like um like John Slatterly and yeah, oh well, John Slattery's like the only consistent character, but um, yeah. like Adrian Brody shows up like in just like one random episode, yeah. and um, like Bobby Cannavale uh, is like in it randomly for one episode. These are people who could carry a whole series, and like they just get like two seconds of screen time. Josh Hamilton, so mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's I find that so amazing and like a great great use of actors <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like they know it too and they just like here's your slap in the face and then get out of here <laughs> so yeah um yeah so it's it was great i i do love that little little addition to show the whole show is like amazing i'm sure we'll see how well it does at the emmys 
it's mostly a battle between Mrs. America and Watchmen, but I think Watchmen has the very slight edge right now. Mm. So, um, it's still too early to to tell because nominee nominations aren't out. But well, that's uh, that's what I'm watching. Yeah, sweet. Watch. Yeah, mm. those were like <laughs> the good the good stuff that we watched this week. <laughs> Not really. Um, that uh, is a good segue into the Navy stuff I found not so good <laughs> this week. Uh, our main segment, Greyhound. Uh, yes. Uh, Greyhound, the uh, Tom Hanks World War II drama. Um, I... Um, I misspoke, I think, on last week's episode, and I think you said it at the top of the episode, too. It was not directed by Tom Hanks, um, but he did do the screenplay. And oh, sorry. Yeah, no, you're right. I said written and directed, didn't I? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think I said that last week, too. And for some reason, I did thought, I thought he directed it, and then I like saw that he didn't. I was like, whoops. <laughs> um, but he did do the screenplay. Aaron Chester um, was the director. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's available. This movie is available to stream exclusively on Apple TV Plus, uh, which you can only get with a subscription. So you have to dish out the $5.99 a month or get a free trial, whatever, if you want to see this movie. But uh, Or make your decision after you uh, finish listening to us. Yeah, yeah. Listen to our, our reviews and we will tell you whether to see it or skip it. Uh, so, on uh, speaking of reviews, should we do a ten words or fewer summary? Okay, because so, I didn't prepare one per usual. <laughs> yeah, neither did I. All right, my ten words or fewer. No fluff war movie. Difficult to understand. Tom Hanks decent. Sure, that's like better than. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Again, not prepared. I just came off. You know. It was off the cuff. Okay, uh, here's mine. 90 minute action film meets bare requirements to be a film. That's 11. I, I counted 90 minute as one word. Okay. 90 <laughs> Hyphenated. minute is one word. That makes yeah. <laughs> But I'll, get, I'll give it to you. I'll give yeah, it we to should you. have punishments for each time we go over <laughs> 10 words. Punishments. Okay, I'll think of a good one and let you know. Right yeah. We can cut off. A word for you. Like, you can cut me off at any time if I go on a diatribe. <laughs> That's it. You're over. Not anyway. I know. I know. But the real synopsis is the plot follows uh, U.S. Navy Commander Ernie Krauss on his first time war assignment in command of a multinational escort group defending a merchant ship convoy under attack by submarines, U-boats, in the early 1940s, 1942, to be exact, during the Battle of the Atlantic, only months after the U.S. officially entered World War II. Yeah, that is the plot. Pretty accurate, because that's about all there is to this movie. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's... The Battle of the Atlantic, and that's pretty much all you need to know. <laughs> oh my god, I kept, it takes place in the North Atlantic, 
uh, in February 1942, and all I could think of the whole time was like Titanic. I'm like, where are the icebergs? <laughs> like, I was like, is this where the Titanic sank? Well, it's a big, it's a big ocean. I know. So like, it got to the point where I was like, I actually spent a small amount of time looking up. I was like, when do icebergs come down to the Atlantic, like come down through the Atlantic? Because there are no icebergs in this movie, even though it takes place in February, whereas the Titanic sank in April. <laughs> so, um, but I think that's like right, because I guess they're not like, it's not warm enough to break off in February. But like icebergs from, as far as I could tell, icebergs happen year round. It's not like a common theme. Yeah. If you are an iceberg expert, please hit us up and let us know. I can pretend to be one, so. I know. The icebergs, unfortunately, are MIA from this movie. <laughs> That make it a lot more interesting. I know it really would. Uh, yeah, because like weirdly enough, the most interesting parts of this movie, I was like disappointed to find were like the most unrealistic. It's basically the entire plot is this like merchant ship that like plays this cat and mouse game with a bunch of German U-boats. It's battleship. It's literally battleship. Yeah, yeah. At various points throughout the movie like the Germans get a hold of like the US radio frequency and they like get on the same frequency as Greyhound, the name of the, the ship that um, Tom Hanks is commandeering uh, and says like, and they kind of like taunt them a little bit. They're like, Greyhound is gonna get you. I kept thinking Game of Thrones. They're like, they're like, Greyhound is gonna get you in this like nasty German accent. And they would like always howl. They'd be like, woo! Uh, which like, I thought was like kind of cool. And then I like did a little bit of research and they're like, yeah, they would like, Germans would never do something like that. <laughs> I was like, damn it. I was like, that was the most interesting, cool parts of the movie. <laughs> um, uh, and also like one of the few times where like anyone showed any sort of character right like any sort of personality <laughs> even if it was evil so but like uh that turned out to be like unrealistic so i was like damn it yeah um so i guess one thing that really bothered that was yeah so there's that and then one thing that bothered me a lot of like the action scenes there's like there are scenes with like the germans firing torpedoes at the greyhound the crew, whoever, the crew, like whoever's like steering the ship has the reflexes and time to outmaneuver not one, not two, but three torpedoes flying at this ship from undersea. Um, and like literally they make the boat rock on its side to avoid one torpedo and then turn around and rock on another side to avoid another. Now, I don't know if this is, like, how they did it. And, like, I didn't know, like, boats moved this fast, like, to avoid torpedoes and ammunition. But I was just, like, that is just seemed very unrealistic to me. So I don't know what you thought about that, but that was just, like, really weird. Uh, no, I, yeah, I'm, what? can almost guarantee that, like, everything that happened militarily was, like, inaccurate. Um, yeah. So I'm sitting there thinking, like, Tom Hanks, like, wrote this? <laughs> I know. So, actually, if I had to, I had to pull an audible, another audible, and uh, 
redo my like 10 word summary, I would call this like a pure vanity project is fine, but like it's a vanity project for Tom Hanks because like he wrote it. So he's obviously very passionate about this. And you can tell he himself is probably like a big fan of like the World War II North Atlantic naval strategy. But like, I think that only people who are interested in North Atlantic <laughs> naval strategy are going to be like interested. In this yeah. I feel like if you like, if you like were there or knew someone that was there, or if you were like a Navy brat, then like, and you understood what was going on and the lingo and the like, because the language and the writing is very hard to understand. Um, it's all very like, like on the ship, like they talk very fast and like they talk like, you know, they're sailors and there's no like you and me, like traditional dialogue. It's all like, sure, like torpedo, torpedo 30 knots right ahead. I'm like, uh, and it's like a lot of it's just very hard to understand. Um, but I feel like if you were like, if you are a sailor or like in the Navy or a military in general, you may like have a better understanding and appreciate it more. I just, I guess it was really hard for me to follow the language and follow the scripts. I see what you're saying and it's, it's I'm in a weird position because I agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, I also think that they dumb it, dumb some of it down a little too much too. So they would like, there's a lot of like explanation. There's like a lot of, they explain everything. They would like point to something be like, that is the, the British supply ship that is named the Hamilton or something like, I don't, or like right in front of us. And it's like, what? It's like, okay, you didn't have to like use like a million different adjectives to describe this like one ship. Well, they don't have like the words on the screen, like I know in British supply ship or something like that. Yeah. And so it was like, I was like, that really was like unnecessary to like explain all of that information mm. right in front of you too. I mean, emotionally, all you need to know is that like, are they a good guy or are they a bad guy? Because you never really see anybody else off the ship. You, It's a whole convoy, but you only ever see people on the Greyhound. So like, it doesn't really matter who else they are. Sorry. Yeah. Are unnamed soldiers? that died. I just assumed anyone above ground was a good guy and anyone or above water was a good guy and anyone below it was bad. <laughs> yeah, and that's like a honestly a fine assumption. Like who cares? Can we talk about like the running time too? Because <laughs> so weird, right? Like a 90 very, It's so short for It's less than 90 minutes. Like it's like yeah. 8 4 minutes like from opening to like totally in credit. Cuz usually war movies are long. Tom Hanks movies are pretty lengthy. <laughs> and I was just shocked that like this movie was so short and I, I I don't know if it was like because of quarantine or something or like it was rushed and like there was like unfinished shoot like unfinished shots and like or like unfinished editing. I don't know or if it was even like a finished movie but it just seemed like it was not complete or there was like a lot missing that should have been there. I kind um, of I kind of agree because like, well, I, not kind of, I do agree because like there are some weird pacing issues. Yeah. So like early on in the movie, like while they're on their voyage um, in between like the US and the UK, they are abandoned by planes, like who would have, who would 
have air cover, but like the planes can only stay close to land. So like throughout most of the movie, they're in like open waters essentially, which is why they face the U-boat threat. So anyway, it's an, it's like an area called the Black Pit. Throughout the movie, they kept reminding you like how many hours until safety, right? So they would be like 50 hours until like air cover. And then it would be like 36 hours until air cover. But they would, they would chop it up into weird segments. And then like, since this whole thing is almost all action, they would end a slight action sequence and then they would like jump eight hours like into directly into like another action sequence. And in between those two segments is just like a black screen that says like 36 hours until air cover. And so like, it's like a weird sort of breather because like if you want to have this like consistent, long, stressful, 90 short 90 minute movie, then like, why are you splitting it up into like segments? Like it's, you go like anxiety, tiny break, anxiety, tiny break. And like, that didn't really work for me. Like, I feel like the anxiety should have been like all throughout. Like if the point is being, you always need to be on alert, then don't ever let up even for a second. And like the movie lets up for several times. So I didn't really, I didn't really get that. So like, I think that was a poor editing thing. And like, and the stuff at the beginning, like Tom Hanks is in theory, like waiting on his like girl back home, uh, who's a woman, um, uh, played by Elizabeth Shue, who gets like one scene, literally. <laughs> and like, that's it. They like never really revisit that too. So like, it feels like there was more to that story that never got like put in. So like, it kind of does feel unfinished. Yeah. All while Cleveland is just trying to give him a sandwich. I know, I know. <laughs> I don't, this, like, that's like the thing. There's like no real characters. So like every character has like one quality and that's about it. So like Cleveland is like the ship chef and like that's all he does. And he's like just trying to get the like <laughs> the commander to eat and like cool. Like, yeah. That's it. Yeah, I, so I just didn't, I'm like, why is this necessary? Like, are you trying to say he's tired? We can see that from his bleeding feet. I know, um, yeah. Like, I, I, I just I just got put off, like, because I'm just thinking the whole time, like, this movie just seems unfinished. Like, why are we putting this out? Why are we rushing this out if it's just unfinished and undone? Um, I feel like this is a movie I, like, should have liked, and I maybe could have liked a little more if I would have seen it in theaters, but, like, watching it on my small computer screen, because... I could go on a tangent about how Apple Plus sucks. No, um, let's do it. Let's do it. Because like part of the part of the reason, right? Part of our thing as critics, right, is like, is this worth it? Is this worth getting an Apple TV subscription? And I so, no. No. so let me let me let me tell you. Can I, can I just go back in the soapbox real quick? No, so, let's do it. I, I want to do this. So I had I I knew we were gonna review um Greyhound this week and I don't have an Apple TV Plus subscription. I didn't get my year plus thing or year free year thing. So I got my seven day free trial. Um, and then there are some shows in there I do want to see too. So I don't have like a Samsung, I, I have a Samsung TV. It's a smart TV, but it's an older generation and it doesn't have the Apple Plus app. Um, so I can't watch it on there. 
And Apple Plus also blocks you from streaming it from your TV or from your, I'm sorry, from your computer or your um, phone onto a Google, Google Chromecast. And so I also have a Google Chromecast, so I tried to plug that into my TV and it didn't work. The only way you can watch any Apple Plus TV show or movie is either like on an Apple TV, like a one, an Apple TV, which I don't have. It's too expensive. I'm not going to go out of my way to buy one. Two, um, on like an updated, like um, like a, I think an updated uh, Roku. No, not a Roku. Um, one of one of the Apple TV. Apple has like one of these streamers, and like there's one, one of them you can watch it on, which I don't have. Um, or you can watch it on like an iPhone or your computer or tablet, which is obviously a small screen. And this movie is not meant to be seen on a small screen. So, but I didn't really have any other option because I couldn't, I could stream my, my Chrome, my tablet to my TV, but the quality Apple plus makes like interrupts it or something and makes it so hard for you to stream, um, any, to, to cast any movie from, or anything from, from your tablet to your TV. Um, I'm sorry if that doesn't make sense. It's just that it's all technology, but anyway. No, like, you mean like connecting it with an HDMI? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like casting it anywhere. But like, it's just, you can do it. It's just Apple makes it such a pain. And I'm like, there's no reason for this multi-billion dollar conglomerate to like not allow me to play like, my, to play Greyhound on like my TV. You know, or like you can't even get an you can't can't even get the Apple Plus app on the PS4 like on your on your PS4 like they don't have, they don't allow it like why what is the point yeah. I think like I think they're in way over their heads uh, Apple is but they have like so much money to throw around that they can like afford to have a massive failure like if Apple TV Plus ends up being a massive failure um, like I like it's not like the morning show like walked away with what how many emmy nominations you know well well zero emmy nominations yet the only thing it's won so far is a uh, sag um but like again it depends how you define success so like even if you win awards like i have a feeling apple carries more cares more about their bottom line than they do winning awards um which is not necessarily true for other studios maybe but um, anyway, so like Apple's player is like really difficult to, I, I mean, even watching Greyhound and I've, I've been someone who I watched the morning show. So like I've had 10 episodes to like kind of get used to this player type of thing. And it's been out for almost a year now, Apple TV plus and like i had to like refresh my player like five or six times in order to get greyhound just to play and like it, it wouldn't play it, this wasn't something wrong with my computer at first i thought it was and i restarted it and um but no like it just like wouldn't play at all and i was like really i was like like <laughs> i got my dinner already like Friday night, ready to like watch this movie and like it couldn't even play. And I was like kind of bummed and it took me like 10 minutes to get it to work. And like, you shouldn't be having those kinds of growing pains at this point in your stage of release. So like that was super annoying. Um, 
And like, number two, kind of to your point, we had like a sort of text exchange about this. Apple is really opaque of how they can, of how you can get Apple TV Plus. Cause like you were saying like, I don't know if I can watch this on my like Samsung TV. Like you can't get it on a PS4. Like Apple really doesn't want you to know where you can get it or how you can do it. And for the, frankly, what the difference between Apple TV and Apple TV Plus is, because I don't think the average person is going to know. For the record, Apple TV Plus is the streaming service, and Apple TV is just, like, the box <laughs> that, like, collects it all together. Mm. Um, but, so, like, I don't think the average person knows that, and all these things are, like, super confusing that, like, all these other streaming services have figured out and even streaming services that are new to the game and have a shit ton of money, like Disney, like Disney Plus didn't have, doesn't have this problem. So, like... No, because Disney, like, took the lessons of, like, Netflix and, um, like, other streaming apps and, like, applied those. And, like, whereas Apple, like, just kind of doing their own thing. Yeah, and it's because Apple is not in the business, they're not in the business of making movies or making TV shows. So, like, it is very clear that they are, like, in over their heads type of thing. And, frankly, it kind of feels good that, like, Apple is in a room where they, like, clearly don't know what they're doing and are kind of a joke because they've, like, taken over the world and <laughs> every other factor. So, um, I don't know. Like, I feel like they should have their shit together at this point because like I got a year subscription when I first started and like they're really going to have to procure some really good material in order to convince me to keep it because otherwise I'm not going to love it. Yeah. So like, I mean, if you look at like, as far as like, not just like the players, not the player goes, but like as far as the original streaming and original content, like I've only seen one, one episode of, um, the morning show but i haven't really watched anything else because nothing really intrigues me um but i mean i obviously what i watched greyhound for this and i, I did want to see greyhound anyway um but i guess i would have never called it an apple original production because i mean apple picked up the rights to it or apple picked it up like the distribution purposes but like i don't i don't like anyway it's um neither here nor there. uh but like apple like they don't like their original programming, like if this is gonna like set the bar, then like that's a you know really low bar because like look at like look at like stuff like Amazon puts out or like Netflix, like Netflix originals, Amazon originals, um, Disney Plus even Disney Plus originals. Like those are actually like good content. Like I feel like Apple like like they could take a lesson from these other pioneers, um, and they haven't. They like they haven't and they refuse to just. I guess because they don't need to. Yeah, no, it's like, it's crazy that Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus, like, basically launched almost the same week, and Disney Plus has done so much better in their rollout. It's even when, like, faced in the times of COVID, where they needed to just, like, get something to get new subscribers. So Apple gets, like, a subpar Tom Hanks dad movie and that disney plus goes all in for hamilton like it's like clear which of those two was the better choice so and like the answer is hamilton and like disney plus just like knows what they're doing 
whereas like Apple TV Plus just doesn't. And, and I think it's because they just have so much money that they like don't care and they're just going to stick around for as long as they can because they can afford to. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um, anyway, so we'll find out like, I guess you can call this like the streaming platform wars, if you will. It's, we can we can change the theme of the month. <laughs> like, you know. I know. Because even even this week, the NBC streaming service is launching, Peacock. Yeah. So, like, there's so many streaming services that, like, all cost money. So, like, if you have to pick and choose, like, Apple TV is not up there for me. <laughs> it, no, it's, it's way up there. I mean, for as little as I watch Disney Plus, I, I don't watch Disney Plus that much because, I mean, there's not a lot of original content yet, um, that at least that 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 turns me on. Um, but I, like, I do appreciate how easy it is to access. Like, I can access it anywhere I want, essentially. Like, I could watch Hamilton anywhere I want. Mm -hmm. It's it's cheap too. Um, so anyway, so Disney Plus has like actual like good programming and I feel like they took the strategy of Netflix they have pretty much the same kind of platform and it's like easy to use easy to maneuver easy to find um yeah so I yeah um that that is like if we're like comparing like Hamilton and and, and Greyhound it was so much easier to access Hamilton and watch Hamilton and enjoy Hamilton whereas like Greyhound was just like part of like watching the movie was the experience and the experience kind of ruined the movie for me yeah, it's like, I I do wonder if this would have done well at the box office because, like, I call this a dad movie, and I feel like a lot of dads and grandpas are going to love this movie. Um, it actually has quite a high percentage on Rotten Tomatoes. It's 80%, so we're actually the minority of not liking it. Yeah, and I was shocked, too. I, I kept looking up, like, the reviews, and I said, should I, like, like this movie? Like, why am I not liking this? And I guess, I don't know, people seem to love it. I know, and like, even the reviews that I read that were like positive, I was like, I just like don't see what you see. <laughs> so, but the reviews that were negative that I read, I was like, yes, yes, totally agree with everything you're saying. So it's like, um, so it was kind of a matter of tastes. I don't know, but we're like the detractors on this. It is rare that like there's a movie that is, the consensus is that it's good and that you and I both don't like it. <laughs> Usually one of us like would defend it. This is uh, this is a rare occasion for us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I wonder if like dads and grandpas would have like dished out money to go see this at the box office because otherwise I feel like it would have gotten lost at the box office. I feel like no one would have watched it. Like, so like I really can't say if it would have done well or not had COVID not happened. Yeah, and I just I don't I also don't know if it would have been a completely different movie if COVID hadn't happened. So yeah, yeah, like I don't know if we would be seeing. I didn't really expect to see this movie in the summer. I thought like this movie was going to come out in like November. Yeah, yeah, like make that push for like Oscar, but I guess not. So. Yeah, and like Tom Hanks' his names attached to it, so like obviously that's like Tom Hanks is the draw. Like, yeah. But, yeah, and he was. Again, like he was, he was fine. Like he was Tom Hanks, and you know his character. Like it didn't really like. I didn't really care. About, I didn't really care about any characters. Like that was another thing too. Like they had zero like 
character development whatsoever. So I didn't care about any characters, but like, you know, I think Tom Hanks did, you know, the best job with what he had. I know. <laughs> I always thoroughly enjoyed Tom Hanks. He wrote it too. So it's kind of like what he had, he gave him to himself. So it's like, I don't dislike Tom Hanks coming out of this, but like, it, <laughs> It wasn't that great, which is like why it's like, okay, just let Tom Hanks make his World War II movie that he wants to make. And Yeah. So um, I wrote, in, I don't know if you saw in my review, I wrote on Letterboxd that I would be interested to see like a different director's take. Because um, I was almost a little reminded of um, Dunkirk and like how I would have, um, I would have been very intrigued to see how like Christopher Nolan would have handled this and like done this movie. Um, cause I honestly think like he would have done a so much better job and like that's coming from me and I do not like Christopher. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would like, I would have like, I would be interested to see this from his perspective. I know he's hey, a little um, right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, he would not be caught dead releasing anything on Apple TV plus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, I was also reminded of Dunkirk too, because like it's similar to Dunkirk of like it takes place over like two day a two day time frame with like in World War II with like um, a cast of characters that uh, you don't really know much about them like they're all just kind of like nameless soldiers type things and. I was like reminded, I was like, why do I like Dunkirk so much? And then, but like, I don't take to Greyhound. And like the answer to everything is like, it is nuance, right? So like, I feel like when a character dies in Greyhound, like I really kind of felt nothing because like none of the characters had any sort of characteristics whatsoever. And remember the entire movie takes place in the intimate setting of one ship, the Greyhound. So like when you're that intimate, I feel like you should really know the characters like well. So like when a character dies, you feel something and I didn't. So um, whereas like in Dunkirk, you get, you get perspectives from like all over the place. So like you get the petty soldiers perspective you get the captain's like perspective and you get like the civilian um, perspective. So like, and the civilian perspective is like the most traditional one. Like that's the one where you like know the character names like George. Mm -hmm. And um, so like, uh, spoil spoilers for Dunkirk, but like when George dies, it's like really sad because like you really feel for him, but like you knew the character's name. And so, uh like and like when the civilian ships roll in to save the day in Dunkirk it's this like super uplifting moment um where I cry each time it's probably like the only time I've cried in the movie where I'm like are happy tears but uh but like I don't get those like those uplifting moments like don't exist in Greyhound because like you never know any of the characters because they don't even have characteristics yeah. Like, yeah. Just like, like you said, it would have been, this movie would have been a whole lot more interesting if we would have had, if we would have had different focal points, not like, it doesn't even have to be, well, I, I would have preferred different focal points, like in different areas, like, you know, 
the rescue and like yes on the Greyhound, but like the rescue, the air the air rescue and like maybe like another ship, like one of the British ships, or even like one of the submarines. Like it would have been nice to have those different perspectives. However, we didn't get that. Um but I would just like I think that would have made this a whole lot more interesting rather than just like this being like a eighty minute Tom Hanks love this. Yeah, like they're essentially just avoiding torpedoes the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's there's so much more we could have done with this, but like it was just bad. So Tom Hanks's other movies, um, so the last movie that he wrote and direct he directed this one too was Larry Crown. Did you ever see that movie? I actually just watched it again really? a couple weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Um so I rewatched I rewatched the trailer for Larry Crown and I was like I honest to God can't remember if I've seen this movie or not. Like, oh, really? I feel like I have, but like I don't remember. <laughs> I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it when it came on digital. Um, it's it's uh, Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts, um, and like Julia Roberts is his professor, and he's in her class in college. He's like a grown up like student taking a community college course trying to get his degree. Um, and there are some very cute, funny moments, like. It's not like one, it's not obviously not the greatest movie you'll ever see, but it's got a lot of very cute moments. Um, if you like, you know, if you have a couple hours to kill and you have easy access to it, I would highly recommend seeing Larry Crown because, like, it's it's adorable. I think, it's, I think it's adorable. something tells me it's on Hulu. Don't quote me on that, but I don't know. Um, yeah, but if, if you can find it, you should watch it. I, I really, I really enjoy Larry Crown. I think it's really good. Um, it is on Hulu. Oh, only if you have the stars at all, which I do not have. Um, but, uh, but that was like the last movie he like wrote and directed. And um, before that, he the last one he did was That Thing You Do, which I also just rewatched and I love. And I think That Thing You Do is great and still holds up today. So mm -hmm. like, I feel like this was just kind of like a misstep for Tom Hanks and his at least writing career. <laughs> I don't again, I don't know if I fault Tom Hanks entirely because I don't know if this was an incomplete movie. And the studio will never come out and tell us. No, it's like weird. They were like, Tom Hanks has COVID. Let's release Greyhound as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because I was actually like kind of looking forward to this movie. We didn't do it this year, but I had actually put it on the list for like best picture, which I um, but it was way, way earlier on uh, when I thought like this was had some kind of contention. But, yeah, but like on paper, it sounds like it, right? Yeah. Tom yeah. World War II movie, like yeah, that sounds I'm like in. a contender. Yeah. And the last World War II movie he did, we obviously know, is Saving Private Ryan, which was, you know, yeah. not as good as Shakespeare in Love, but according to the Academy. <laughs> no. I was gonna say, I was like, I think a lot of people disagree with that. I, I'm joking. <laughs> For the record, I'm putting it on the record right now. I am joking. I think <laughs> I think Saving Private Ryan should have won that year. Uh, yeah, and he did like Band of Brothers, The Pacific. Like it's clear he loves World War II stuff. Yeah, yeah I guess should we uh, should we wrap up our discussion of Graham? Yeah, there's like honestly, I keep saying it's just like a 90 minute action movie because honestly, God, that's all it is. Like there's really not a whole lot to talk about yeah well, if so, you're interested and intrigued find it if you will on apple tv plus 
Yeah. My vote is no, but if you have it already, sure, why not? Why not? I just, yeah, my only regret is that I wish I would have seen this In on a bigger screen. <laughs> whenever, whenever we get to go to theaters again, but that's why we have summer blockbusters at home. I miss the theater so much. This is no, this a reminder of how much I really miss going to the movie. It's been I know, so that's like the number one thing that I miss. Like, to be honest, I like, I don't miss like bars all that much, but I like really miss the movie theater. <laughs> yeah, it's the experience, you know, it's like, yeah. as we were talking about earlier, like movies are an experience, you know, you go out and get your popcorn and your drink and you like sit and like, you have this like giant screen in front of your face and like, it's, it's a big difference. Like, in terms of how you like digest the movie, like whether you're watching it on the, if you're watching it on a big screen, you're going to have a much different experience than you're, if you're watching it, like watching a movie on a laptop. Um, not only like, it's like the screen effect and like the sound is too. And like, you also have your distractions of like being at home uh, as to being in the theater. It was like, you know, home, you have like, like snacks you can walk up and get, you have your phone you can be on, just distracted by all of that. Like pause it to go to the bathroom like you're taken out of it so many times so taken out of it there's like i mean it's great like that we do like these summer blockbuster at home series and like um like the series that we've been doing but like it just it really takes away from the experience of being in the theater which is one of the reasons i'll always advocate for the, the um for movie theaters and the theater industry and movies not going straight to video on demand so everyone wear your damn masks so we can get back to the theaters as soon as possible. Please, please. <laughs> get off Facebook. Yeah. Get off yeah. the Thank you. You said it. The yeah. for people in the back. Yeah. For people in the South. Ugh, in Florida. <laughs> yeah, we love you, Florida, but please yeah. wear your For all our listeners in Florida, <laughs> wear a mask. All right. So what's next on the docket or should we yeah um july 10th this past weekend was like a major weekend like it feels like the first kind of like summer smackdown <laughs> of of the year where there was like a ton of stuff released so um so the movie we're viewing next week is available right now it's uh palm springs the Andy Samberg comedy, like Groundhog Day-esque comedy that's available to watch on Hulu. So um, it got great reviews at a Sundance and it um, got great reviews like this past weekend when it was reviewed. Everyone seems to really like it, but there are some detractors. So it makes, so I'm curious as to how I'm gonna take it to it because. Yeah. Um, it's been getting a lot of a lot of talk. I actually I haven't seen a trailer for it. I know nothing about it. I know nothing about the plot, so I'm curious to uh, to see this. And I I do like Andy Samberg, big big fan of Brooklyn Nine Nine here. So um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm excited. Um, it made headlines for being like the most expensive movie ever to be purchased at uh, Sundance. Really? Yeah. Um, it made headlines because like the previous record was like seventeen point five million dollars, and Neon, the studio that bought it, uh, paid seventeen point five million dollars and sixty nine cents. Oh my god! 
nice. That was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that was very intentional. The six. That's funny. That's hilarious. So um, they just wanted to make a statement. <laughs> yeah. Well, then it must it must be good if Neon bought it. Do you know what was the original record for? Uh, I don't know what movie it was. It was like. Every, it feels like every year these records get broken because inflation. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, wages stay the same. <laughs> I know. Uh, so I, I have a feeling like I'll take to it. Like Andy Samberg, I generally really like. So, oh, oh my God, I just looked it up. The old record holder was Birth of a Nation. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, the... <laughs> I know, um, but like the, um, not, not the birth of a nation, like the like super, super racist one. Uh, this was the birth of a nation that was made by Nate Jones, who has like rape allegations against him. So uh, any movie called birth of a nation is just cursed forever. So yeah. Let's just not make any more movies called Birth of a Nation. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's now Palm Springs. Uh, but <laughs> that's good. Uh, yeah. So so now um, yeah, I think it's been a while since like we've done not a while, but like the last two movies we did were a musical and a war action movie. So like it'll be good to do like a lighthearted comedy, I think. Yeah, yeah, on a different streaming platform. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we're just like shifting through the streaming platforms here. <laughs> we have Disney Plus to Apple TV Plus to Hulu. Yeah. Cool, sounds good. Uh, missing anything else or is that it? No, um, well, since it's available right now, and on Hulu, and so if you've watched it or want to watch it in the coming weeks, we want to hear from you. We want to, we want you to send us our your reviews so we can read them on the air, so you can know that we aren't the only two opinions <laughs> in the world. Uh, so you can always send us uh, your reviews at stepandrepeatpod at gmail.com. and again we'll. Uh, read your review on the air. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, please send us your opinions. Um, and you can always find us on Twitter. We're at, at repeatsteppod and on Facebook at facebook.com slash stepandrepeatpod. And like Matt mentioned earlier, you can always find more of our reviews on Letterboxd. Uh, I am at A Shine and Matt is at M Grant 1219. And if you have a few seconds, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because those new reviews really help us find new listeners. So if you drop us a review, we will read your reviews on air. And if you give us a five-star review, we promise to say anything that you write in it and it will be on the airwaves for all of history. So until next time, thank you for listening. And I think I speak for Matt when I say it's an honor just to be considered.